it was challenging, but I love the challenge of it. It's just very exciting to me to do something that is different than what I do on a daily basis. And beyond that, it's exciting to just have something that I've created out in the world and to see how people respond to it. And there's something very personal about books. You connect to them, you travel with them, they get worn, they get written in, they get bent up, and they become a part of your life. And so to create something that hopefully can become a part of readers' lives in a tangible way feels very, very special and like a real honor. Hey, it's Yulia, and this is Going Places. Today, I sit down with Nikki Vargas, a senior editor at Photoist Travel, a published author, the founder of Unearthed Women, and a public speaker. Nikki has been on our show before, and each time she's been an incredibly powerful voice of inspiration and wisdom, sharing with us her path of becoming an acclaimed creator and how others can pave this way for them as well. If you haven't yet, be sure to listen to episode 26, where we first sat down with Nikki. Today, we talk about Nikki's latest book, a travel memoir called Call You When I Land, that is out now. Be sure to check it out in our show notes for the link to the book. In this book, Nikki recounts her journey through the countries that brought her love, self-discovery, and the inspiration to launch the first international feminist travel magazine, Unearth Women. We also talk about the process of book writing, including the art and the business of it, and how writing a memoir is different from writing her first book, Wondrous, which came out in 2022. Nikki also shares advice to aspiring authors, and we discuss why travel has the power to transform our lives and how we can replicate that closer to home without breaking the bank. We also discuss how travelers are uniquely positioned to support the communities they travel to, Nikki's TikTok advice, much needed for me, and her next book project. I absolutely love talking to Nikki again this time around, and this time about her book, Call You When I Land, which takes the familiar story of a woman going abroad to find herself and turns it on its head as the act of traveling becomes, for Nikki, an exhilarating career path and ultimately a tool to champion women's voices across the world. The book is out now and it's available on all major platforms, and we will also link to it in our show notes. If you want to stay updated on all things Going Places, be sure to visit goingplacesmedia.com to sign up for our newsletter. This episode and the entire season of the show is brought to you by Visit Jordan. Be sure to visit myjordanjourney.com to learn more. That's myjordanjourney.com. All right, now on to this episode. Hi, Nikki. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to reconnect with you and to talk all things your new book today. Thank you so much for having me back on. Amazing, amazing. Well, your second book called Call You When I Land comes out this month, and it's been described as this generation's Eat, Pray, Love, which is awesome. And it contains a lot of stories from your life. Some of them our listeners have already heard because you were on the podcast before two years ago, and oh my goodness, time flies. And some of those stories include investigating the death of your great aunt in Colombia. It includes 
include stories of calling off your wedding in your 20s and also pursuing the dream that you had of being a travel journalist against all odds. So I have actually not read the book yet, but I'm excited to get my hands on it. And I will be attending your in-person event in Chicago this month. And I really love how you said somewhere about this book. Uh, you said, I dedicate this book to the people still out there searching for themselves. And I thought that was just so beautiful. So congratulations. And I can't wait for this book to be out there in the world. Ah, oh, thank you so much. It's such a vulnerable thing to especially put a memoir out. So it's really, it just warms my heart anytime the book just hits a chord with someone or feels personal to them on some level because that just makes the vulnerability of it so much worth it. I can't imagine that process of seeing your baby, your work, you know, you're pouring your heart into this and then being it out. It must be just so satisfying. So let's bring this to our listeners right now. May I ask you to read an excerpt from the book for us? Of course. So to give a little context, this excerpt comes from what I really feel like is the climax of the book. And at this point in time, I'm in my 20s. I am a week away from getting married and I have been effectively avoiding that reality in all the wrong ways from trying to find running away at the end of a jet bridge to running away at the bottom of a glass and running into the arms of the wrong people. And this is when I kind of stop running away and confront myself. And I'm confronting myself at this point in the jungles of Argentina. And so this is a little bit of one of my honestly favorite parts of the book because it marks such a clear transition. And this is right after I've yelled into the trees, I don't want to get married. I feel everything now, relieved, terrified, sad, exhilarated, inspired, defiant, but above all, I feel strong, a power that seems to infuse every part of my body. I had become complacent and avoidant. I had stayed in a career I hated and went through the motions of planning a wedding I didn't want. I drowned my doubts in alcohol and distraction, letting go of the steering wheel of my life long ago. Now I had only myself to blame for the direction my world had drifted, and no one, not my family or my friends or my fiancé, could and would save me from the mess I had created. My stomach is now twisting in knots. Going back to New York is going to be a shit show. I'll have to fly home and call off my engagement, break a wonderful man's heart, and cancel a wedding that is now days away. I can no longer avoid the turbulent river in front of me or keep looking for ways to get around it. Instead, I'll walk right in and face the current, pulling from a well of strength that has now been dug. I'll face it all, the vitriol and the disappointment, the confusion and the pain, the sadness and the loss, because I finally know that my life is worth fighting for and that the woman I can become is waiting for me if only I'm strong enough to change course and reach for her. And finally, after months of avoiding the arms of my fiancé by stumbling into the embrace of others, after months of hiding behind lace veils and sprinting down jet bridges, I know I am strong enough to just say no to getting married and walk away. Wow. It's one of my favorite parts of the book because the book is actually divided into three parts. 
And each part is kind of inspired by an aviation term. So the first part Mm -hmm. is turbulence. And all the chapters within that are reflective of turbulence. It's a very turbulent time in my life. It's very much riddled with conflict and avoidance and confusion. And then part two is changing pitch, which is an aviation term for when a pilot essentially changes the direction of the plane, whether moving the airplane nose up or down, ultimately changing the direction of flight. And so that excerpt I've just read is the end of the turbulent chapter. And it marks such a clear transition because then part two is really when I start to change course and change direction in my life and try to make it look more like myself, which ultimately leads into part three, which is, of course, landing and finding that resolution. Wow, that was so beautiful. And I felt your voice came through so strongly, like your author's voice came through in that passage. That was just so beautiful to hear. I wonder, you mentioned in the reading that you finally realized that the woman you were to become was worth to be fighting for or something along those lines. And I wonder, without giving away too many details of the book, what was it that spurred that realization? Was it shouting at the trees in Colombia? Was it something else? You know, the thing about that chapter in my life, not just the book, is that I had really taken a backseat to major life decisions, whether it was what I was doing for my career, whether it was who I was choosing to marry. I was really making choices that would define my life and my adult life. And I was doing it flippantly and avoidantly. And part of that was truthfully a lack of maturity. Part of it was a fear of letting people down. And part of it was just youth. And so When I am standing in that jungle and I quite literally scream into the trees that I don't want to get married, it's sort of the first moment that I speak to myself as an adult and I confront myself because what was so vulnerable and hard about writing, particularly part one of this book, was that I really had to go back to this place mentally where I handled things in a very messy, avoidant, selfish way. And for me, at that moment in time, travel was a tool of avoidance. I used travel as a means to run away from everything that I was avoiding back home in New York. And that trip to Argentina, my last time running away, is really the last time that I used travel like that. And I can relate with that so much. I can resonate with that so much. I think a lot of us in particularly challenging times of our lives use travel in that way. And I think there is something about this idea of sharing your most inner truths with the silent witnesses in a location where no one knows you and Oftentimes it's in nature that that happens. You know, yeah. you mentioned the screaming at the trees. For me, it was literally very similar moment of realizing that I need to change my career path and I'm stuck in, in the career that I had also in New York. I was on top of a dune in Morocco at night and I don't think I was screaming, but I was saying out loud that I am afraid. I'm afraid, you know, I wasn't able to admit that to myself before. So there's something about like putting yourself into the these situations often in nature where you're able to share those truths and that's so cathartic isn't it because that's when like you said everything changes after that that's a very powerful moment and what I love about that is 
you know, as I just read, that moment that you had on the dunes and the moment that I had in the jungle is really about having the strength to reach for the person you know you can become, but you don't feel that you are at that moment in time. And it's really scary because you're taking a gamble. You're essentially making a decision to tear down everything that you currently know and are comfortable with at some level for a future that is not yet realized. That's what makes it so scary and so exhilarating, but also so powerful because when I made that decision and when I kind of had that moment in the in Iguazu National Park, I was reaching for someone that felt like a dream, that, mm-hmm. you know, a career that I didn't even know if it was possible for me. And at that point in time, nothing indicated that it was within reach and a version of myself that felt very, very outlandish and far from reach. But I knew that I couldn't continue walking down that road because nothing about it felt honest or reflective of who I wanted to become. And so it sounds like your moments on in the dune in Morocco was very similar. And so I think there's a real strength there in being able to turn away from what is comfortable towards something that is not yet realized. Yeah, that's so, so beautiful. And yeah, courage and strength to do that. And I think when we read and learn about stories of others going through this process, it gives us a little bit more courage, perhaps, or opens up these doors that we perhaps weren't ready to open by ourselves. So I recommend or I encourage every listener who is interested in that journey to definitely check out the book. And we're going to link in the show notes, we're going to link to the book site where you can get all the information about it. But I wonder, this book has been published on the heels of your first book called The Wanderers, which came out in 2021. And we, again, I will refer you guys back to the first episode we did with Nikki. We're also going to share a link to it in the show notes and you can listen to that interview, which was full of amazing wisdom from Nikki as well. But I wonder how has this process of writing a book changed for you, if at all, right? Has it become easier, perhaps? Tell me it becomes easier as you go down this road. It's very, very different. Wanderous was not personal, really. I mean, Wanderous was, as you know, it's a woman's travel resource. It's meant to be really just a go-to for anybody interested in travel to find expert tips from women across the industry, whether you're a new mom, whether you're going through menopause, whether you're a part of the LGBTQIA community or BIPOC. It's meant to be very curated advice from women who can speak confidently to that. And while I am co-author of Wondrous alongside Elise Fitzsimmons, who Wondrous was inspired by our work with Unearth Woman and Elise Fitzsimmons is co-founder of Unearth Woman. Our job really was to work with all of these talented women and kind of bring forth this diversity of voices to bring together this book of Wanderous. So all of that is to say that the process of Wanderous, so different because Call You When I Land, it's just me. You know, Wanderous felt like a real team effort of bringing forth this book. And it also felt like it wasn't 
my book to celebrate so much as it was our book to celebrate because there were so many voices that brought it to life. But Call You When I Land is just me wrestling with my memories, wrestling with my emotions, and pouring all of that vulnerability onto the page. And now it is mine to celebrate. And so there's a real beauty in that. It was much harder to work on. It's much scarier because it's just me standing here saying, this is my story. And people will take from it what they will. Some people will love and celebrate this book and some people might hate it. And that is that is just me standing there and dealing with those reactions. But the process really was different. And I don't know if it gets easier, but you know, it, it is a beautiful process. And I have to say that writing this book, I found it to be more enjoyable than writing Wanderous because it was such a challenge and because it forced me to go back in time and rehash things, some of which I had already sort of gotten closure for and some of it which felt still very raw. And so it really felt like a cathartic opportunity to bring forth beauty from some of my more painful moments in life. It sounds like it could be a healing, therapeutic process almost for someone, you know, like you said, revisiting some of those stories, reprocessing, perhaps gaining a new perspective on some of those things. Yeah, yeah. And the funny thing I will say that's very different about writing a memoir, this book is published by HarperCollins. And so the reason I say that is when you're working with a publisher and you're working with an editor and everything in the publicity team, it's so surreal when it's your personal life story and it's sort of being spoken about in this very matter-of-fact business way. Oh, yeah. And you find yourself very weirdly when it comes to these business conversations talking about yourself almost in like a removed third person kind of way. So for example, I was speaking to someone recently about a business opportunity that might come out of the book, not to give too much away, but in talking about it, it's very much like, oh, what moments throughout the book do you think would be the most compelling? And I'm like, oh, what about this moment where Nikki does this or Nikki does that? And it's it's just such a funny, funny quirk to the process that once you kind of have this very one-on-one experience with the page and you sort of wrestle all this emotion out of you, once the business steps in of publishing a book and promoting a book and marketing a book, it's so funny how it almost becomes like depersonalized. And it's just, it's a very unique thing. Yeah, I've heard it described before as, you know, once it's out, it doesn't belong to you, which is a little bit of kind of what you're talking about, I think, where it's its own thing, it's its own entity, and it gains a life of its own. And you're kind of just like, on the outside looking in like, oh, this is this is the story of Nikki that is now out there in the world, right? I'm going to pause our conversation here for just a moment to talk about our partner, This season of our show is brought to you by Visit Jordan. Jordan is a country in the Middle East that, in a relatively small area, packs diverse landscapes like the Mediterranean forests of Ajlun, deep canyons in Wadi Dana, the Mars-like desert of Wadi Ram, my favorite place in Jordan, and the Dead Sea, the lowest point on Earth. At the crossroads of trading routes for millennia, it has a fascinating history, The Nabataeans, the Umayyads, the Romans all made this place home. Jordanian food is rich, varied, and packed with flavors. I, for example, love mansaf. 
And above all, the people of Jordan are welcoming and are some of the kindest people I've ever met in my travels. If you've been listening to our show for a while, you know how much I love Jordan and I couldn't be more excited to tell you, Ahlan Sahlan, welcome to Jordan. So if you're looking to understand this region better through its history, food, people and landscapes, let Jordan be your host. Go to myjordanjourney.com to learn more. That's myjordanjourney.com. And with that, let's jump right back into our conversation. So sounds like you are becoming a serial published author. I hope so. From your lips to God's ears. What do you think draws you to book writing? It's such a different process from writing articles, isn't it? Well, first, the most obvious one is just the, the amount of work and the length that it takes from start to finish is just mind-boggling. Yeah, I did not think I had it in me. I will be very honest with you. I am an editor at Voters Travel. I've been an editor for maybe 10 years plus now in the travel media space. My entire career is built on articles, on short stories that get to the point and we have a term, a coin of term that we use in editing, which is just trimming the fat. And so whenever I'm editing articles, it's really just kind of bringing it down to that like 1500 word, like maximum and trimming any sort of unnecessary fat from the story. And now here's a book where it is so far beyond 1500 words. And I have to really kind of go against this skill that I've cultivated over nearly a decade. And I was really worried about it. I was really nervous that I don't have experience writing long form. Wanderous, again, very different beast. It isn't a story that you're kind of, you know, carrying and consisting across chapters. It's just sections. And Wanderous felt like a bunch of travel articles together because you had all of these very clearly defined sections with different focuses. And so, it was challenging, but I love the challenge of it. It's just very exciting to me to do something that is different than what I do on a daily basis. And beyond that, it's exciting to just have something that I've created out in the world and to see how people respond to it. And there's something very personal about books. You connect to them, you travel with them, they get worn, they get written in, they get bent up, and they become a part of your life. And so to create something that hopefully can become a part of readers' lives in a tangible way feels very, very special and like a real honor. Oh, I love that you, how you put that. I haven't really thought about it that way, but it's so true, right? That the book becomes part of someone's life in a very, very tangible way. I love that concept. That actually resonates with me a lot, that fear of like, do I have it in me to, you know, to write this long form project? I have some book aspirations of my own. And that's one fear that I'm kind of working through is that, you know, can I really fill that many words in a book? It's scary. It's really scary. I'm in the very, very, I cannot underscore the word very enough, early phases of my third book. And my agent keeps telling me that she thinks I have a fiction book in me. And I'll tell you what, I have spent my whole life writing nonfiction. So I'm like, 
again, right back at that like point of self-doubt and insecurity of, are you sure? Are you sure I have this in me? But again, the challenge, the excitement of trying something new, of pushing yourself to step outside of what you know, I think that's just what it means to just kind of be a creative person. So if you feel you have a book in you, I hope that you take that fire and you run with it because if you feel it, you probably do. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. And you know, I believe in science and you're a third person straight in a row that I'm interviewing for the podcast that has written a book and we're talking about their books. So if that's not a sign, I don't know what is, you know, for me to start really start thinking about it more seriously. I want to come back to this, something that you said about the challenging part of it, right? So I wonder, like, practically, how do you overcome that, right? You have, I'm assuming, let's say, an outline, and you know the story that you want to tell. And then you you sit down, and you have an empty page. And then some of those fears start coming up, and you are starting to wonder if you're going to be able to get this project done. Like practically, how how were you overcoming some of those challenges that we discussed? Definitely an outline helps. I will say I'm a a pretty organized type A person, which means I like having a plan going into especially work. And I had spent months working on a book proposal with my agent before the book was sold. And that really forced me to sit down and think about, because when you work on a book proposal, not only do you have to offer an overview of the book, but as part of the proposal, you have to do a chapter breakdown and include a paragraph for each chapter of what it's going to be about. And that really forces you to look at the overall story arc and how you're going to carry it through and what you're going to say in each chapter. And that really helped me. It really helped me keep me on track because when I sat down to an empty page, I knew this is where I have to begin and this is where I have to go in order to set up the next chapter. And so I worked at it very in a linear way. I didn't jump all over the place. I went chapter by chapter following the outline that I had worked on, making sure that I was staying true to the book that was sold to HarperCollins because that is what they bought and really pushing myself to stay in line with what I had, essentially the roadmap that I had created. Outside of just sort of a very organizational approach to it, what really helped was I had kept journals throughout my life since I was a kid. And I had a lot of journals. Unfortunately, I, the habit has fallen by the wayside, which I should probably get back into it. But uh, I had journals from this moment in my life that were just dripping with emotion and also detail. And so it really helped me to read these journals and put myself back mentally into not only the emotional state, but also the places that I was in during these moments in time. And so that was an invaluable resource of helping me get the words out. And the last thing I'll say for aspiring authors out there is that I made the choice, the very intentional choice to write my memoir in present tense. And the reason I did that is I find if I'm writing in present tense, it forces me even more to be in the moment and to really lose myself to the emotion. And so that is why this is written in present tense. And only in few places throughout the book do I break the present tense to jump ahead to the future and offer reflection. And I find that in those moments that I do, it really adds sort of a level of, of power 
to that moment in the book. But yes, those three things, I would say an outline, having journals to bring me back to those moments in time, and also writing in present tense really helped me with the process of actually getting the words out. That's such good advice. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Nikki. And I've noticed the present sense immediately when you started reading the paragraph at the beginning of the show and how powerful that is, right? It, like you said, it puts you in that moment right away. So that's really, really powerful and great insight. So I wonder, you mentioned, you know, these three things that have helped you with tackling this project. You are currently serving as senior editor at Photos Travel, and you've been an editor for quite some time. And you've also been working with a variety of publications on stores publications like Cosmo, Vice, Zagat, and others. And by the way, we'll link to Nikki's uh, work in the show notes as well, so you guys can check it out. So how do you think your work as a travel journalist and editor prepared you for writing this book as well? Oh my gosh, it was absolutely necessary. I mean, at the end of the day, Call You When I Land is a travel memoir. And so much of my career has been either writing about travel or editing other people's travel stories. And that really runs the gamut. I've edited personal narratives about people who have taken transformative trips of their own. I've written personal travel stories that speak to my own transformations or own experiences. And of course, I've also worked on and written travel stories that are more descriptive or more helpful that just focus on what to do in a certain destination. All of that really combined in this book because not only do you have essentially a personal narrative shining through, but then the ability to pull a reader into a destination so that they're not only seeing the emotional evolution of, in this case, myself, the character of the book, but they're also visibly in a destination, they feel that they're vividly there. Whether they're on the streets of Vietnam, feeling what it's like to cross a street and the chaos of the traffic and everything there, or they're standing in that jungle in Argentina with me, or they're walking along the streets of Colombia with me. Those skills cultivated of how to describe a place in such a vivid way that pulls readers in and transport them could not have happened if I was not a travel editor and writer because I know both from reading other people's work and creating my own what it's needed to transport a reader across the world. And that's really what travel writing is. The ability to, whether in an article format or listicle or whatever it is, it's the ability to have a reader feel and smell and hear and sense what it's like to be standing in a vineyard in the South African wineland so that they want to add it to their travel list. And so those skills really helped this book. That's so well put, Nikki. Spoken like a true expert. <laughs> and I would say something that you said in there is a really important piece of advice too, which is reading other people's work or reading work that you want to one day put out yourself is something that I feel like sometimes gets overlooked. And that's something that I always share with people as well. Like if you want to get better at writing, if you want to be a book author one day, or if you want to be a travel writer one day, you have to read, you have to absolutely read other people's work and learn from that work as well. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I have to say, I love 
women's memoirs. I love women's travel memoirs. And I am more drawn to memoirs from regular people than celebrity-driven memoirs. And so when I was in my 20s, books like Wild by Cheryl Strayed or Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert, these books meant so much to me because they came from normal women who weren't celebrities that were so honest about tumultuous periods in their lives and what they did with that, what they did with the pain, what they did with the trauma, what they did and how they grew from it. And a lot of times it happened in the context of beautiful places like the Pacific Crest Trail for Cheryl Strayed or Italy, Indonesia, India for Elizabeth Gilbert. So these books had such an influence on my travel memoir. And it you see it. You really, I think as you read it, I, I hope readers will sort of see that it really is a homage to this genre that I just love dearly, which is women just taking control of their lives and being honest and flawed, but beautiful in accepting that it's okay. It's okay to not have it all figured out and it's okay to change course. Oh. I love that. I love that so much. It makes me want to go reread some of those books as well, because I, I love them so much as well. You mentioned something about Call You When I Land being a travel memoir and this idea of travel holding this enormous power to transform our lives. It's central to the book and I believe also central to your work. And I love that. And that's something that I've also always believed in. You know, I think most of us who are in this industry, we kind of hold that belief. But here's kind of what I've been grappling with myself for some time now. It's recognizing the enormous, enormous privilege that travel still is in our world and to be able to freely move at all in our world. So I don't know, for me, I'm always trying to kind of find a way to hold both of those at the same time, right? The awe of coming to places and learning more about different places and also recognizing the enormous privilege that it is that, you know, for most of the world still is not able to do so. So how do you kind of begin to think about that? Yeah, I mean, Travel is a privilege, absolutely. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about that I came out of the horrible time that was the pandemic was I think it forced us to reframe how we look at the concept of travel and that the act of travel doesn't need to be an international flight. It doesn't need to burn a hole in your wallet as you pay for hotels and put them on credit cards in cities that are very expensive. That the act of travel is about stepping outside of your comfort zone. And that can be an hour away from home in a place that you haven't explored. It could be a weekend getaway. It could be a train ride away, or it could be across the planet. And so I think this book, while it is ultimately a travel memoir and it speaks to not only my evolving relationship with travel, but also all the ways that it helped transform my life, I would hate for a reader to think that the only way they can achieve transformation is by emptying their bank account and flying across the globe because that's that's not the takeaway. The takeaway is you achieve transformation by allowing yourself space to be with yourself and that can take place anywhere. It could take place at home, but I find it's easier when you step outside of what you know. And again, that could be 
close to home or far from home, but the point is is that you're taking space. And I think that is really the power of travel, the ability to take space and step into a place that is unfamiliar and new and allow yourself to be exposed not only to new ideas within yourself, but also new ideas within a place. I love that. I love that so much. And this idea of transformation doesn't need to come at the expense of your bank account. I think that's super relevant right now for so many of us, right? And it's finding those pockets, finding those opportunities, even in, you know, perhaps the next neighborhood over where you never set foot on or a weekend trip in your state somewhere. But it's that idea of finding it or making it as accessible as you can. I really love that. I also remember... That in our first conversation, in in the first episode that we had together on our show, you also talked about how travelers are uniquely positioned to support women wherever they go. And that's such a powerful way to reframe of what travel can mean, right? If we look at it from a standpoint of I can support some of these communities where I go, I think that also helps that conversation as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I still stand by that. I think that my work with Unearthed Woman, as you well know, a publication that I had founded in 2018, and for those unfamiliar, it was a woman's travel magazine that has unfortunately since folded but still exists as a digital platform. But the the mission behind it really was to champion women within the travel space, both as travelers, but also showing travelers how to support women locally. And that was really what made me realize the influence that travelers have. Because at the end of the day, when you go to a new place, you are infusing that destination with money. And and how you choose to spend that money has a lot of influence and sway on that destination. And where you choose to spend that money also has influence and sway. And how you share your experience with friends and family back home also influences that destination. And so I found that if travelers choose to shop at women-owned businesses, if they choose to spotlight women-owned businesses or tours or women leaders in those communities on their social media platforms, it really has such an impact. And so I think that is really the power of travelers to support women on the ground wherever they choose to go and to make choices that just lift up those communities. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. And there are so many stories, so many women that you've highlighted and spotlighted over the years. Are there one or two stories that particularly have stayed with you? Stories of women that you've met on the roads or that you've spotlighted as part of Unearthed Women or other work that you've done? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I I think the cool thing about some of the stories that have stuck with me are how it's just regular everyday women that have made the decision to take upon themselves to start a company or create something from scratch. And so one of them is I had met a while ago a woman named Manal Kahi. And she is based here in New York, and she had founded a company called Eat Off Beat. And she is herself a Lebanese immigrant. And what I think is so cool about what she did is that she decided to create this business out of a sheer 
love for Lebanese food and missing the food of her homeland, she created a business that champions refugees in New York and employs them and gives them a space to really lift up their cuisine and to cook food from their homelands. And it's a it's a catering company. It's a food-driven business. But that is an example of a woman who just created beauty and created it in a place where it's not easy to start a business in New York City. And it's not easy to go up against, you know, the white male dominated business world as a Lebanese immigrant female entrepreneur and to start a successful business. So that is definitely a story that has stuck with me. Yeah, I just think it's so cool. I love that. We're going to share the, the link to Eat Off Beat for our listeners. I'm on their website right now. And yeah, it sounds like such a cool story. That's what I love about you. How you so tirelessly just champion, champion women and find these amazing stories. And even through your current book, your latest project, you're also championing, you're also championing and empowering and inspiring all of us to be a little bit bolder, a little bit more brave and honest, like you said, with our lives and to pursue things that we really want or that we feel like we have potential for. I don't know. I just find it so inspiring. And every time I see you in person too, because I remember last time I saw you in person was at IMM. And I think you were on stage, actually. I think you were speaking at a panel or something. And yeah, it was just so, always so inspiring to be around you and around your presence. So I just wanted to say that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. You know, the thing is, is that I recognize the position I'm in as an editor for a legacy publication that's been around since the 30s. And as someone who runs this now platform with Unearthed Women and, you know, everything else, it's, I see that I'm uniquely positioned to amplify voices. I'm uniquely positioned to work with writers. And that is an awesome responsibility and power for anyone who is an editor and who is essentially a gatekeeper at a publication that has a platform and has a big readership. And I just think that one of the things I'm so proud of, especially over at Fodor's Travel, is the priority we put on working with diverse writers, on giving new writers an opportunity to get published and to go on press trips, and on really making a conscientious effort to share diverse stories and diverse voices. And I just think that if you are in a position to help others and lift up their voices and tell their stories, you should. It's as simple as that. It's You are in a position to make change. So why not? I love that. I love that. That's so inspiring. And for our listeners who might be interested in contributing, perhaps, some of those perspectives to Fodor's Travels, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, the best way is to send your story ideas to pitches at photos.com. And I know that, you know, some people might think, oh gosh, that's just a generic email. But one of the very rare things I've seen at Photos, which I should say rare in terms of the industry, uh, having worked at a few different publications, is that this team really values the story ideas that they get from freelance writers. And to that point, we meet as a team twice a week to discuss every single email we get in that inbox. Now, 
it can take some time. So responses are not instantaneous, but I just want everyone listening to know that we're looking at every single email. We're discussing every single pitch idea. We're considering every single story that comes our way. And we really try to get back to everyone. Whether or not it's a confirmed assignment or a pass, we really, really, really with our writers, whether they're established writers we've worked with many times or brand new writers who are coming to us. And so if you have an idea and you want to share it, I would suggest emailing that address and we will look at it. As someone who's working in the industry, I can confirm with with Nikki that this is not a usual approach. And so it's really special that, you know, the team and meeting twice a week and considering every single idea, that's really incredible. And I would also say that when you do end up pitching at that email address, be sure to also check out their pitching guidelines because that's really a blueprint of understanding what the publication wants, what kinds of stories they're after, etc. And that uh, link, we're going to sh- put it in our show notes and it's also there on the website for everyone to see. So that's really encouraging. And yeah, I think you, Nikki, and, and some of the other editors that I know have really been championing that opening up the gates, so to speak, in the past several years. And it's really wonderful to see that. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, at the end of the day, it should be a very strong relationship between editors and their writers because publications, I I mean, these publications, voters included, we exist because of the stories that our writers bring us. And so there needs to be a lot of respect there. And I think if someone takes the time to email you a story idea that they have thoughtfully you know, pull together, tailored to your publication, looking at the pitch guidelines, I I think it deserves a response. And so that's why, you know, I'm really proud of the fact that we try to do that at Voters and really take the time to look at everyone's email. Thank you for saying that, Nikki. Thank you, really. That's, <laughs> that just makes me feel so, so good about this industry that's not always the easiest one to be in. But I've always felt, and I say this all the time too, to people in our community, that this is where our value as freelancers lies, is bringing unique stories to publications. And it's amazing to speak to an editor who also feels the same way. So thank you. I I appreciate that. I wanted to ask you actually something about slightly different topic, which you've mentioned a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned this concept of having a platform. And one platform that I've recently discovered you being quite active on is TikTok. And we talk about this all the time, like, how do we wrap our heads around TikTok? Like, what do we do with that? And so I'm just curious, like, how do you think about TikTok right now with everything that you're doing? Oh, gosh, I have to tell you, I didn't want to do it. I really, I really didn't. I didn't want another social media platform in my life. I already feel like I'm chained to Instagram. Thankfully, I'm like pretty inactive on Twitter. Like I really just feel like Twitter is just me like shouting into like space every once in a while. And Facebook at this point is just like updates for my parents and their friends. I really didn't want to do TikTok, but I realized at the very beginning when I was wrapping up the manuscript for Call You When I Land, my publisher had sent me one of these sort of like online masterclasses. And one of them was about book talk and how to leverage it for marketing of your book. And so I, you know, I sat down with it, I watched it. And by the end of it, it was undeniable to me 
that I needed to start a TikTok because the amount of sway that TikTok has on the book industry, which is to say the amount of purchasing power. And also, weirdly enough, TikTok, more than any other social media platform, has the largest conversion rate, which is to say that people are more likely to make an action after watching your video on TikTok than they are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, anything else. And for authors, that is huge. So when you're going out there saying pre-order, pre-order, pre-order my book until you're blue in the face, TikTok, it's a great place to promote it. And so I realized I couldn't not jump on this bandwagon. Um, and so I did. And I'm you know, it's it's not really comfortable to me. I, I'm not one to really stay on top of social media trends. I definitely am not one to like use the hot TikTok song of the day or whatever the latest TikTok dances. And I just kind of feel like when it comes to social media, you got to do what feels comfortable to you and what feels authentic to you. And so I started to do that. I started to share snippets of what it's like to work on the book, kind of behind the scenes of my life, things on travel. I gave advice on writing a book, promoting a book, things that I was sort of experiencing throughout the process. And, and that feels real to me. And so, um, yeah, I, I would recommend it to other authors. I think as cringy as it might feel like to have to start another social media platform from scratch, I think it's too big of an opportunity to miss out on if you're an author who's trying to push out your book. And doubly so if you're a self-published author and you don't have you know the backing of a publisher to help amplify awareness, you have to use whatever tools are at your disposal. And TikTok is one of them. Yeah, it's powerful. I mean, the, that stat you shared about the conversion rates is just like, wow, that's just mind boggling. And I think what's overwhelming me, at least, and I know other people as well who are considering TikTok is that, you know, the amount of effort and time that's required for putting together good good TikToks on top of everything else that you're already doing. And of course, I know I, I teach this myself that it's all about prioritization and all of that. But I don't know, for me, just the thought of adding that to my kind of full plate already is kind of overwhelming. But I, I saw some of your TikToks and they're really, really fun and really interesting, actually. And they provide a lot of value. So kudos to you for going after that. Thank you. Yeah. And look, I know it feels like uncomfortable and kind of like, you know, but I think that's where staying true to yourself really comes into play. You know, you could be on TikTok and just put out videos that feel right for you. You don't have to follow a social media schedule. You don't have to put it out at a certain time of day. You absolutely can. And seriously, kudos to you if you are following the social media algorithms and posting at the optimal time of day and time of week. But really, like, I just do not have the bandwidth <laughs> to do that. So I truthfully just share when I have the time and inspiration to do so. And that's that. And hopefully it reaches people and hopefully it's inspired a few to order the book. Love That's, that's really freeing advice, to be honest. I, I think I'm going to follow that. That's, yeah. that's really cool. So you recently got married, the love of your life. Congratulations, by the way. I I think it was a couple of months ago now, wasn't it? It was actually September. So it was pretty, pretty recently. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. That's really wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. And you are 
like we just discussed, you're a senior editor at Photos. You are on book tour currently. You're coming to Chicago and I'm really excited to meet you in person. You're running Unearthed Women. You're doing public speaking engagements around the, the world. You have a book that's out now. You're very busy, a busy person. What are you most excited about in your life right now? Oh, man. Personally, I'm just excited for having just gotten married um, embarking on this next chapter with my now husband. We're still very much getting used to it in like a very cute way where we're still like husband, wife, weird. We've been together nearly 10 years. So it's funny that we've already been together so long, but somehow everything feels new because we've just had this big wedding. And so that is just very exciting to me. But professionally, of course, I'm excited for my book and to see how people react to it and to see how it does. You know, once it is out of my hands and in the world, I'm just curious to see what readers think and what it will lead to. And as I'm kind of hopeful for Call You When I Land to take off, I am also very excited to just work on the next book and to hopefully keep going. Is there anything that you can share about your next book with us? Uh, yes, absolutely. Well, the next book is, it's also personal, but I'm going to try to do it as fiction, but very, very much inspired by reality. The next book is inspired by a father-daughter's trip that I recently took through Norway with my dad and my 20-something sister. And it just really explores the complicated, beautiful, painful relationship between a father and his two adult daughters as you move through the wilds of Norway in the present tense and toggle between these defining moments in the past. Wow, that sounds really beautiful. And I wish you all the best with your book writing journey. That's such an inspiration. Honestly, like I am just so inspired every time I speak to you. <laughs> and I can't wait to see where this journey takes you next. So thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you for coming today and sharing your story sharing the story about the book and the behind the scenes of the book and to our listeners be sure to check out Nikki's book Call You When I Land it's out now already we're going to share the link to it in the show notes you can also find it anywhere if you google Call You When I Land so definitely check it out I think especially now knowing the backstory and the process and the motivation and inspiration behind it it's even more special to read the actual story that Nikki puts so much work and effort and her heart and soul into. So congratulations, Nikki. It's been amazing to have you on the podcast today and all the best to you on this journey. Thank you so much. And I hope to you and your listeners, I hope to meet you all in person. I am headed on book tour. I'm going across the country. And so if I'm coming to your neck of the woods, I hope you'll come out and say hi. All of the events are free to attend and some even have complimentary wine. So if you love books and you love wine and you love meeting other readers and travelers, I hope you'll stop by.
Amazing. We're going to link to the post that announces the book tour. Nikki is going to be upcoming appearances in DC, in Philadelphia, in Queens, LA. You can also follow Nikki on Instagram, Nicknack Vargas. And we're going to sh- again share all the links, you guys. You will find all the links in the show notes. So definitely do. And yeah, that's such a good reminder that Nikki is on tour. So come out and meet her in person. She's even more lovely and amazing in person. So definitely come out and say hi and we will see you out there, Nikki. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening today and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to stay updated on all things Going Places, be sure to visit goingplacesmedia.com to sign up for a weekly newsletter. If you've been enjoying listening to our show, please take a moment to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or share this episode on social media. Our theme music this season, Abbar el-Shams, is provided by Rawan Roshni, a Palestinian Balkan singer based in Jordan. Our partner this season is Visit Jordan. My name is Yulia Denisio, and I will see you next week.